Oh, such an amazing testimony from Amajit. I just, God is so good. And I think what really stood out to me from that story, which ties in a lot with what I want to talk about this morning, is that business of us getting to talk to God and Him hearing us and responding to us and answering us when we pray. And just that, that point that he made about all of those Hindu gods that he used to speak to and never got a response. None of them heard him. Um, you can take the thing off. I'll, I'll give you a nudge when it's time. <laughs> um, none of them heard him. None of them heard his prayers. But he cried out to Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus answered. And I think that's so amazing. And that's the, the beauty of this faith that we have and this life that we have in Jesus, is that we have a God who hears our prayers when we cry to him. And um, that's really what I want to talk about this morning. But just to provide a bit of context, I want to talk again this morning about uh, a prophetic word that God's given to our church. I seem to always talk about this word whenever I, I share something, but it really is uh, sitting with me, and I'm really excited about it. And God keeps kind of stirring some things in my mind about it, so that's, that's quite, uh, why I want to return to it this morning. Um, and it's this word that God gave us that he's moving us as a church into a broad place. So he's moving us from a place, if you like, of, of restriction and maybe frustration and, and sleepiness to a place of hope and expectation and activation. So the picture is one of a, a narrow place and being moved into a, a broad place. And just again to reiterate, some of the things we think this will look like is more of the Holy Spirit amongst us. Um, an advance for children and young people, so God's going to do some amazing stuff among our children and young people. And also for a sharper gospel, so an ability to share his gospel and his message of hope and salvation with greater clarity. So those are the main things that, that this broad place is going to look like. But something else that I, I want to talk about this morning is that I feel that part of being in this broad place is going to be a new maturity and depth of communication and fellowship with God in prayer. Um, and again, that, that issue of us talking to him and sowing seeds in prayer, and him answering, and us getting to rejoice in that. And so I just want to unpack that a bit this morning. And um, you saw the verse that just, just was up there. We're going to jump to that a bit later on today, um, and see what, what Paul has to say on prayer. But I just want to start again by returning to this picture we have um, in the Old Testament of the Israelites moving into the Promised Land. Because I think that's quite powerful for us as we consider the broad place. So um, I just want to turn quickly to Joshua 5, verses 10 to 12. Um, so maybe we could get that up on the screen. Um, and this is the bit where... So the Israelites have... Um, Moses has died. They've moved through the wilderness. They've crossed over the Jordan River. And they're standing in, on the brink, if you like, of, of the promised land. And Joshua has received the command from the Lord that he's to circumcise all of the, all of the people because the, the generation that left Egypt, left the oppression of slavery, they've passed away now. And so this is a new generation and they've been circumcised and they're ready to enter the promised land. And it says uh, in chapter 5, verse 10, while the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And so I, just, I want us to bear in mind that 
in this journey that the Israelites took from slavery through the wilderness into the promised land, they shifted from this season where God provided miraculously this stuff called manna, which was like this miraculous food that he provided from heaven. So there was a time of receiving manna and eating that, but then they moved into the promised land, um, and God says to them, I've wiped away, I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt, I've rolled away that, that sense of being slaves in Egypt, and this is a new day for, for the nation, and, and now it's time to eat of the fruit of the land. It's time to eat of the fruit of the promised land. So I want us to bear in mind just this picture of moving from a time of, of receiving manna from God to a time of maturity and eating the fruits of the land. And I, I believe part of what this looks like is a new depth of a conversation with him. And I'm going to explain that a bit later. But first I want to uh, talk about a story from, uh, from life. And it concerns a lady called uh, Mireille, who many of us will know. Um, she actually gave testimony here a couple of weeks ago. Um, she's a friend of many of ours, and we got to know her through the coffee shop. Initially, she started off as simply a customer in the coffee shop. More or less, uh, from the moment we opened the shop, which was two years ago, uh, so if you don't know, as a church, we, we run a coffee shop on, on a local high street. Um, she came in as a, as a customer, and so this lady uh, came in, and we got to know her and, and served her drinks and things. And I remember the day when she came in, and she told us that she'd just been diagnosed with Huntington's disease. Um, if you're not aware, Huntington's disease is uh, a condition that affects mobility and, and cognition. And it became clear that um, she was struggling to walk and that this was really affecting her health. And I kind of went to God with it. I, I didn't really know what to I was like, I want to help her in some way, but I don't know how. And it really began a journey of walking and, and supporting her um, in prayer and, and different things. And I know a lot of us have uh, played a role in her journey and, and stood with her over that time. But God's really led, led this lady, Murray on an amazing journey, and her testimony is incredible. And if you haven't heard it when she came and shared here a few weeks ago, I recommend getting hold of the audio. I think it was um, posted in an email or something, so just have a look through your emails and check it, because it's an amazing testimony. But it's really a story of God drawing this lady, who was just a customer in the coffee shop, drawing her deeper into his love, uh, freeing her from anxiety, all the anxiety that surrounded her illness, and enabling her eventually to walk without the aid of a, a walking stick um, and, and a frame. And it's an amazing testimony. But I want to focus on a moment on this journey, a particular point on this journey for her, uh, where God did something for Murray. He uh, broke into her life in an amazing way. But he also began to teach me something um, on this journey. And so it was a particular week. And um, some of us were gathering in the coffee shop on a Tuesday morning to pray. And this is something we've been doing for a while. Every Tuesday morning, we go to the shop, and we open up at 7 o'clock, and we pray for harvest, just for the different things that are going on around us. And this particular morning, I really felt to pray for Murray, And so did a, a number of us. And we really just agreed and, and joined together and just declared that God was going to touch Murray this week and, and show her his love in a new way. And we really prayed for healing for her as well. And um, we had in mind, in particular, that Thursday evening. So every Thursday, we, have, we run a group in the coffee shop, um, which we share stories, we share testimonies, we talk a bit about the gospel, and uh, we really just invite God's presence to come and invite him to do whatever he wants to do. And so we had in mind this Thursday, and we were really crying out to God and saying, God, on, on Thursday, could you just encounter Marae? Could you show her your love in a new way? Could you begin to heal her, her body? And so a number of us um, agreed on this point and really declared it. Um, 
And God answered our prayer in an amazing way. And I've asked Marie if I could share a message that she sent to the group. Uh, we have a WhatsApp group for the Thursday night thing. And uh, really, it sums it up better than I could, so I'll just read it to you. Um, and she said, wow, I am just blown away by tonight's meeting. This was the Thursday night meeting. God's presence was amazing. David Fruger and Peter prayed at our table for my request for continued healing. We all held hands and prayed. During prayers, I could feel a burning sensation going up and down my back. I told everyone I've got this strange sensation, and David said it was God's healing touch. And then I got a surge of emotions through my body and started to cry uncontrollably. Wow, still in awe and wonder. Thank you for all your prayers, and thank you, Lord. I just think it's so what an amazing testimony of what God did there. Um, and when this happened, I, I rejoiced. I was so happy. Uh, I remember coming away from that, that session on Thursday night, just thanking God for what he'd done. But God began to teach me something. He impressed something on my heart. He said, there's something different about the joy you're feeling now to other times you've rejoiced. And it's true, there was something different about the joy I was feeling in that moment on that Thursday night that was different to any other time I'd, I'd rejoiced. I was trying to work out what it was. Um, and God basically said that, that this joy that I was feeling was part of this, this growth, this maturity, this moving into the promised land. And I'll, I'll explain it in a bit. I want to return briefly just, just to that idea of the manna that God um, poured out to his people in the wilderness. Um, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, it, it was a kind of interesting time for them as a nation. They were constantly moving. Um, they couldn't grow crops. They couldn't provide for themselves in, normal, in a normal way. And so really, it was a time when God provided food miraculously out of necessity um, to a people who still felt like slaves. So at this point in their history, they, they didn't really realize that they had that relationship with God. They still felt like slaves, and they were grumbling, and they were complaining. But God provided out of his mercy uh, this food for them. But when they moved into the promised land, things began to change. And in this place of uh, a blessing, this, this broad place, this, this promised land that he'd given them, God provided for them, but in a new way. It was still miraculous provision, but it was a new kind of, of miracle because he was inviting them into partnership. He was inviting them to cultivate the land and start growing things, start growing crops. And so here he was providing for them through the, the glory of partnership with him. Um, and he was providing it to a people who finally knew they were free. He'd rolled away the reproach of Egypt at this point, and, and they knew they were free. And so it was a new kind of relationship. It was a time of diligence, of tilling the land, of partnership. And God nudged me on this, and he said, up to this point, uh, over the last few years, he'd done miraculous things in my life and in people's life around me. But there was a sense in which I'd almost received them and thanked him for them, as if it was manna, if that makes sense. So I'd, I kind of thanked God for it, but there was an element of, of mystery. You know, the Israelites didn't know what manna was. The actual word manna means what, what is it. That's why they called it manna. And so they, they didn't know what it was. And it was similar with me. God was doing these amazing things. He was healing people. I think back to times like Clear Sound when we went away as a church and God did amazing things. There was an element in me of, of wow, God, this is incredible. This is amazing, but who knows what you're going to do next? It, there was a kind of mystery to it. And there is, there's always going to be a time when God does things in a, in a mysterious, miraculous way because he's God. But I just felt that God was nudging me on that and inviting me into a new kind of joy because something was different about that Thursday night that I was rejoicing over Moray's testimony. Um, and I believe it was because I prayed. I believe it was because on the Tuesday, we had sown seeds in prayer. We planted those seeds. We said, God, we want you to do this on Thursday. Would you show Marae your love? Would you show her your power? 
And then on Thursday night, we were seeing the fruit of that prayer. And so I believe that on that Thursday, I was beginning to taste the fruit of the land, the fruit of the promised land. I believe the joy that I was feeling in that moment was different. It was deeper. It was richer. It was greater because I was involved in this partnership with God. God was almost saying, look, I I nudged you to pray on Tuesday. I, I put that desire in your heart and you prayed and I heard you and I've answered you. Isn't that amazing? We're in relationship, we're in partnership. And so as I was rejoicing, I wasn't just rejoicing over what God did in Marais' life, which was amazing. I wasn't just rejoicing in, in the joy of that miracle. But I was rejoicing because I knew that God was drawing me deeper into relationship with him. I was rejoicing because I knew he was my dad. I was having a new revelation of God as my father. And it was incredible. And so that's why my joy was deeper. And so I believe in this time, God is calling us into a new revelation of him as our dad, him as our father, someone that we can cry to, just as Amajit shared. And he hears us and he answers our prayer. And this is so much greater than us just saying, wow, God, you're amazing. You're pouring out your spirit in in great ways, but who knows what you're going to do next. And so, you know, the manna continued beyond the Jordan. So it continued for a season. But there has to come a time when we begin to occupy, when there's a maturing, we begin to till the land and enter a diligence of sowing those seeds in prayer. And it's a new kind of, of maturity. And so I believe God is calling us into a, a living conversation with him, this ongoing conversation with him where we're praying and we're tasting the fruit. And, um, and really this is the whole point of prayer. Um, prayer. Prayer is a funny thing when you think about it because essentially God knows everything we, we need. And there's not really that need to talk to him. And he can do all things, and he knows our needs, so why doesn't he just just do it? Why doesn't he just give us what we need? But really the point of prayer, I think we often get caught up in in looking at the the outcome of prayer and and the things that we're asking for, the healings, the provision, um, the ways he he, uh, breaks into our lives. But really the thing that is burning on God's heart when it comes to prayer, the, the reason why he set this system up where we talk to him is because he wants relationship. And so when we pray to God, it's wonderful that he answers our prayer. It's wonderful that he pours stuff out to us and heals us and does all this amazing thing. But the real treasure of prayer isn't the outcome. It's the relationship with God. And and the outcome happens. The stuff happens, and that's wonderful. But the amazing thing is the relationship that gets built. Um, We don't pray to make stuff happen. We pray to know God. And in the process, stuff happens. And it's wonderful. We can thank him for it. Um, and really, this is, this is why Jesus did what he did. It's why he embraced the, the pain of the cross. It's why he was beaten and whipped and endured separation from the Father, was so that we could have this conversation established. It's a precious, precious thing, and it's so close to God's heart. Um, and I believe this was a revelation that Paul had. And so I want to shift now to, to the New Testament and just look at Paul's revelation on prayer, because I think there's some stuff that we can, we can learn from it. Paul's an interesting guy who will often, in his letters to the churches, he'll often say things like, pray without ceasing. Um, I think he says that in First Thessalonians. And it, it's an interesting one because how do you pray without ceasing? How is that possible? It, do we literally have to be praying every minute of the day? Um, but he says something, something else in another one of his letters, which is uh, Colossians. So if you want to get up that first slide. Just the the verse, yeah. Yep. Oh, no, 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 sorry, the the slide, the PowerPoint. Yep. That's cool. 
There we go. So this is uh, Colossians 4, verse 2. And uh, it's a really interesting verse, which I believe contains a key for understanding how we're to talk with God, how we're to relate with him, and really dwell in this place of prayer that I'm talking about. Um, I believe Paul's understanding of prayer differed from most people because I think most of us, myself included, I think of prayer as a thing that you do. Like, so every so often you go away and you pray, we have a prayer meeting, we pray, and it's a thing we do. I don't think that's how Paul viewed prayer. I, th- I think he viewed it as a lifestyle, like a, a way of being, a way of, a way of living. And I think this, this verse, this exhortation that he contains in his letter, really illustrates that. And so he says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And so I think these three things, steadfast prayer, watchfulness, and thanksgiving, I believe they're, they're three activities that make up a lifestyle of continued prayer. They're three activities that make this lifestyle of intimacy and fellowship and closeness with our dad who hears us and who answers our prayer. And so I just want to look at these and unpack them. Um, because how do we live in continual prayer as a church? I believe it's, it's by dwelling in this, this place of prayer that Paul's describing. Um, so if you want to go to the, the next slide, Jamie, quickly. So I've put them in like a, a triangle here, and it's kind of simplistic to split them up in this way. I actually think these three things, the prayer, the, the watching, and the giving thanks, they tend to blur quite a bit. I think sometimes in the midst of prayer we give thanks, and, and you can't separate them out so simply. But actually I think you can put them in a triangle like this, and it can be quite helpful. Um, essentially I think the prayer flows to the watching, and the watching flows to giving thanks. And giving thanks then empowers us to pray again with greater faith. Um, And I think that life is designed to be lived in this place of this gap between praying and rejoicing in the answer. Um, When we have all three of these things operating together, um, we pray, we sow seeds, we watch intently for the answer that God's giving. We're just scanning the horizon ready for the answer. And as soon as we see it, as soon as we catch a glimpse of it, we rejoice, knowing that that joy will strengthen us to pray uh, more more prayers to him. And I believe that this thing just goes round and round and round, and the more we do it, uh, we just grow deeper in in our relationship with God. But I think often, at least in my life, I I miss out one of these stages, or or an aspect of this goes missing. And I think when you you miss out one of these aspects of of prayer... um, the thing starts to break down. It starts to, to stop working. So if you go to the next slide. Uh, so sometimes we pray, but we forget to watch. Um, so there are times in my life when I've I prayed a prayer, and I've, I've said something to God and asked him to do something, or, God, I've got this need in my life. I need you to provide such and such, or I'm struggling with this thing. But then I forget about it, and I'll just go about my life, and a few months down the line, he probably answers the prayer, but I don't notice it. Um, because I've forgotten to watch. I've forgotten to watch for the answer. And so what this does is it prevents me from being able to give thanks. It stops me from being able to get to that place of rejoicing in the answer to the prayer, because I prayed the prayer, but I haven't been been diligent. I haven't been watching. And so it robs me of the joy of giving thanks. And this is quite dangerous, because it leads to intense discouragement. Um, And what happens is, because I have no joy in my relationship with God, no joy in the fact that he's heard my prayer, because I haven't noticed that he's answered it. Um, 
it becomes more about formalism. It becomes more about the process of praying. And so I might stick to my prayer times. I might create a list of things I need to pray for and diligently pray it. But there's no joy and there's no relationship in it um, because I'm not able to, to give thanks when he answers me. So that's something that often, often happens for me when I, I do it. Another thing that can happen is we can be watching. If you go to the next slide. I suppose I can use my click. Um, we could be watching but not actually praying. Um, and so what this looks like is, is we tend to get offended. This is when we're kind of looking around us and thinking, God, why aren't you intervening in my situation? I have all, the, all of these needs. Why aren't you doing anything? Um, this person's getting blessed or this person's been healed or whatever, but have I actually been, been praying? And sometimes I have to stop myself and when I'm, I'm asking God about this and saying, God, why has this happened to me? It, it seems like you're not involved in my life. I have to ask the question, have I actually stopped and prayed? Have I actually stopped and articulated my concerns and the things that I, I want from him and formed them into words and sowed those seeds in prayer. And sometimes I have to say, I haven't. I've forgotten to do that. I've forgotten to actually pray. And um, I'm watching and I'm expecting God to do something, but I haven't actually sowed those seeds. And so that's, that's another thing that can happen. Um, next slide. Sometimes we pray and we watch and God answers, but we don't rejoice. And again, that's something that I'm, I'm learning is to actually give thanks but if we cut out the thankfulness, if we cut out the rejoicing aspect of the prayer, then we often find we just get slowed down in our, our prayer life. And again, we get discouraged and we don't have that power to then go back into the place of prayer. Um, again, sometimes we... Um, yep, yeah, I, I don't think I've actually got this on the slide. But sometimes we uh, see something that God does and we give thanks and we praise him for it, but we forget to make the link back to a prayer that we prayed. So God might have answered us in a miraculous way, but we forget to think, actually, this was a prayer that I prayed some time ago, um, and God's answering this prayer. And so again, if we get into that place, we're, we're almost like we're in that place of receiving manna, and God's doing amazing things, but we're not really drawing back and, and recognizing that this is a relationship. But if you have all three operating together, um, then you're in an incredibly exciting place. And I actually believe that the most exciting uh, place it's possible to live in life is in this place of, of continued prayer. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about if we're uh, doing things that look particularly exciting, traveling across the world or, or doing different things. We could be just on our doorstep. We could be uh, doing our normal uh, everyday activities. But if we're living in this place of prayer, of sowing those seeds in prayer, watching for the answer and rejoicing when it comes, then we're doing the very thing that God's called us to do, and it's, it's incredibly exciting. And my, my life's goal is to always either be praying, actively watching, or giving thanks in everything I do. Um, and this is a, a journey that God's led me on over the last little while, is, is one of just being diligent in, in continually uh, bringing things before God, um, remembering what I've prayed, and being diligent in rejoicing in the answers that he's given me. Um, and so there's a number of, of situations where I can, can think of this happening. One is recently a, a few of us went, to, uh, in, went into Barking to uh, talk to people about God and, and see if people wanted healing. And it was just an incredible time. I've done a few things like that in the past in terms of just chatting to people about God. And it's often been really tricky and it's felt like there's a barrier. But this particular morning, um, I went in with my brother and Fernando and, and Simon Walker. And, um, and everyone we talked to was open and ready to receive, 
and keen to listen and were up for prayer. And we're just like, this is incredible. This is, the, the grace to this is, is amazing. And we remarked on it and, and talked about it and just agreed that it was an incredible time of God just flowing through us. But I, later on, I discovered that the entire time, uh, Fernando's house group had been praying for us. And when I heard this, I just rejoiced. I was so happy because it meant that not only was this an amazing morning that God used us to, to reach people, but it was an answer to prayer. And so this deepened my joy. It was a bit like um, that time that I, uh, I was rejoicing after what God did for Murray. My, my joy was deeper. It was great that he did amazing things that morning in barking, but the fact that people were praying for it was even more powerful for me, and, and this was even more, uh, even more joyful. Quite often I'll, I'll wake up in the morning, go to the coffee shop where I work, and, and I'll open up, and I'll be diligent in saying, God, I hold this day before you. Give us favor. Give us favor in business. Um, I ask God to just bless us with new customers, that he bring people through the door. he create relationship. he create community. And so often it's easy for me to forget to do that, and I'll just go about my day. But those times when I stop and actually pray that prayer in the morning and, and maintain that steadfast prayer that, that Paul's talking about, throughout that day I'll be watching for the answer to those prayers. And so quite often I've done that, and we've had an amazing day of business. And I've been rejoicing because I'm saying, God, this is you answering the prayer. You're giving us favor. You're giving us new business. Every time a new person comes through the door that I've never seen before, I'm thanking God because he's bringing new custom into the shop. And all through this process, my relationship with God is deepening. And so I've come to this place, really, where I've decided that I don't want to engage myself in any activity that cuts through this this place of prayer, any activity that interrupts either my watching or my giving thanks, or my praying. And sometimes I'll find I'm doing something. I might be watching uh, a film or television or something, and it, it, I feel like it's interrupting my, my awareness of God and my ability to watch. And I've got to a place where I'm like, I don't, really want to be, I don't really want to be doing that. I want to always be attuned to God. I want to always be, be watching for what he's doing. Um, whenever Jamie speaks, whenever he speaks on Sunday morning, he, he'll often use clips from films. Um, and this is just something that he's, he's gifted in noticing in films where, uh, like, different points that can be used to illustrate um, God's truth. And I find this amazing. And, and the reason why I find this amazing is because when Jamie watches films, he's not just watching the film. He's watching. He's doing what Paul is saying. He's been praying. He's been praying just in his life with God. And he's watching this film, but he's watching for the coming of the kingdom of God in the film. And I find that amazing. So he's able to draw things out of films and use them into talks. And I don't ever want to switch off my watching. I don't ever want to be watching a film and just saying, right, God, I'm just emptying my mind now. I'm just switching off, just relaxing. I always want to be ready to to hear God if he's going to drop something um, into it. And so when you're living in this place of continual prayer, uh, this place of intimacy, I've noticed that you start to respond differently in different situations. Um, you're quick to spot, to spot God's works when he does things. Um, you find yourself rejoicing when other people might just be not noticing or, or might just be nonplussed. Um, and you're active when others are passive. And sometimes you do things that might seem a little bit odd. And I want to just take a, a brief look at a couple of examples of people in the New Testament that I believe um, represent this, this lifestyle. And they're two guys that appear in the Gospels. And we don't hear them talked about a lot. They're, they're very small uh, characters. There's a guy called Simeon and a guy called Joseph of Arimathea. So if we turn first to look at 
that are Simeon. Um, and let's go to Luke 2. Uh, verses 22 to 35. So this guy called Simeon, he's an ordinary guy, and and we pick up the story at a point where Jesus had just been born, and um, his parents, Mary and Joseph, are taking him to the temple in Jerusalem for purification, according to the law. And so it says in in verse 22, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel. Notice that phrase there, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, people Israel. And so basically this guy, Simeon, he's an ordinary guy and he, prompted by the Holy Spirit, he comes into the temple at the exact moment that Mary and Joseph bring Jesus in for purification. And if you look at this scenario, the scene that's playing out, I mean, we're used to it. We're, we're aware of the importance of Jesus. But really, it's an unremarkable couple from Nazareth, a carpenter and his wife with a baby. There's nothing particularly special about this situation. But they come into the temple, and this guy, Simeon, is in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's in tune with what God is doing. And he sees this baby, and he says, Yes, thank you, God. Now my eyes have seen your salvation. And I, I can imagine there probably would have been people standing around thinking, What? What's he doing? This is just an ordinary couple bringing their baby in. But he tuned into something. And I want to return back to this phrase. It says, it describes Simeon. Luke describes him as a man who's righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. So this is a man who has prayed prayers. He's got that relationship with God, that ongoing relationship with God. And he's watching. He's dwelling in that place that Paul talked about, that place of watching, of waiting, being pregnant with expectation for what God is doing. And because he's in that place, he's able to be prompted by the Holy Spirit at the perfect time to come to the temple and see the salvation of Israel in the form of of this little baby who's Jesus and then prophesy over him. And I just find that incredible. Simeon was a man who, when everybody else was just carrying on business as usual, just going about their normal day, it wasn't a particularly remarkable day, he was able to rejoice at small beginnings. He was able to rejoice at God beginning to do something that looked small. At that point, it was just a a small baby, but he rejoiced, and he was able to prophesy with great authority over its fulfillment. And so I think as we dwell in that place, as Simeon did, as we uh, dwell in that place of intimacy and and continual prayer, God's going to make us into a people uh, who are able to rejoice at even the smallest hint of him beginning to do something. Um... It's interesting, I, when I'm, I'm working in the coffee shop, I'm not someone who's, who's naturally particularly extroverted 
or, you know, I'm not someone who can pluck a conversation out of thin air. But I'm passionate about building relationship and friendship with the, with the customers that come into the shop. And there was this one particular guy, an elderly gentleman who came in, who I just felt this nudge. I was like, I want to chat to him. I want to start a conversation with him, but I don't know how. God, how do I do this? And I couldn't see an opportunity. But I prayed one day. I was like, God, give me an opportunity to, to start a conversation with him. Um, and later on that day, uh, the guy came into the shop, and he was just sitting there eating his, his food, and he just out of the blue just said, hey, did anyone see that, uh, that news article the other night? And started talking about this, this story he'd heard. And it was an opportunity for me to just step in and start a conversation with him and that relationship to deepen. And again, a very simple, mundane thing that other people would have thought, there's nothing particularly special about that. But for me, I was rejoicing because I prayed a prayer in the morning and God was answering it by giving me that opportunity. And so I think, again, like, just like this guy Simeon, just the smallest of things can happen. The most unremarkable of things can happen. But that could be a moment of rejoicing for us because God is, is answering a prayer. I want to look at another guy now, uh, Joseph of Arimathea. So if we turn to Mark 15, verse 42 to 46. So again, Joseph, um, he gets a small mention in, he's actually mentioned in all of the Gospels. Um, and he's this character that appears just at the, at the burial of Jesus. So Jesus has died on the cross. And, um, and this man called Joseph is, is mentioned. And so it says, after Jesus died, um, verse 42, when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. So again, here we have a guy who, um, an ordinary man, he's, he's a member of the council. Um, and again, he's described as a guy who's, who's righteous and devout. He didn't consent to Jesus' death. Um, but it's an interesting story because it's at the point that Jesus has been crucified and he's died. And it's the darkest moment, really, for Jesus' disciples. It's the point where everybody has lost hope. Half of Jesus' disciples are, are too scared to even show their faces. They're hiding. Um, they're not even present at the crucifixion. And those that are, most of them are just grieving. They're consumed with grief. They can't even think to do anything. Um, and it's an interesting moment because God almost has this dilemma on his hands because in order for his plan to be fulfilled Jesus needs to be buried but he's up here on the cross and none of the disciples are able to do anything because they're they're out of action um the Romans probably wouldn't have buried Jesus they, they might have left him on the cross or just taken him down a bit later and thrown him in like a communal grave um if nothing had happened but God had a different plan and so he used this man called Joseph who was alert when everybody else wasn't. And, and it, was, it was a dark moment for, the, for Jesus' disciples. Um, but Joseph was alert. And again, we have this phrase in Mark. He says, Joseph was a respected member of the council who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God. And so again, there's this sense that he's, he's watching, he's looking, he's active. Um, he's not just passively 
going from moment to moment, but he's, uh, he's been praying those prayers. He's been asking for the fulfillment of the prophecies that, that God had given, and, and he's looking for the kingdom of God. And so almost when everybody else is weeping, everybody else is grieving, uh, Joseph springs into action. And so again, I, w- I believe God wants us to make us a people in the season who, when the world is weeping, when the world is grieving and unsure of what to do, we're able to spring into action. And I want to encourage us, because I think this is something that God is already doing. Um, when you think about the situation in Sierra Leone with Ebola, um, in 2014, summer of 2014, this uh, outbreak of Ebola, of Ebola struck Sierra Leone and tore families apart and was devastating for, for many, many people. And the world was looking on, not knowing what to do. The world was grieving and, and unsure of, of, of what to do in this situation. But God, in his mercy, enabled us to respond in that, in that time because we were, we were active, we were looking. And um, those of us who were involved in the situation um, were able to uh, be involved in education for Ebola, to setting up a clinic, providing uh, medical assistance, and also providing hope for those who were affected and providing a home for orphans. Um, also, when you think of the situation in Iraq, these uh, thousands of refugees who are fleeing from ISIS, um, staying in these camps. Again, the world is looking on, not knowing what to do, but someone like Waggy, who's, who's a part of us, he's attuned to what God is saying, and he's able to spring into action, just like Joseph did. Um, so I believe that, that when we dwell in this place of prayer, when we're sowing these seeds in prayer and we're watching and we're waiting for the answers, God makes us ready to spring into action when everyone else is, is unsure of what to do. Um, so these are just a couple of things that, that I believe uh, God could have for us at this time. Um, so if we just return, Jamie, to that, that picture of those, um, those aspects of prayer. So together, I believe that, that this principle of praying, of watching, giving thanks, and dwelling in this place, it forms a dynamic of intimacy with, with our God, with our dad. Um, I believe that God is calling us to live in this place of continual prayer, continual conversation with him, both on an individual level, um, but together also uh, in a corporate level. And I almost just have this sense from God that he would say to us, you know, why do why did I bring you into this poor place? Why, why did I bring you into this, into this land? Was it to fill you with awe and wonder? Was it to heal you, to pour out signs and wonders? And I almost feel that, that God said, yes, that's a part of what I want to do. I want to heal you. I want to fill you with awe. But more than that, I want to draw you into conversation. I want to communicate to you my love. I want to invite you into this, this fellowship, this relationship. God isn't just looking to fill us with awe and wonder. That's a part of what he does. That's always a part of what he does. But I think he's after a conversation. I think he's after that, that prayer, that abiding conversation with his children. In a sense, God could, in a moment, cause every person in the world, every human being, to be filled with awe, to drop to their knees at who he is. When Jesus returns, every knee will bow and declare that he is Lord. In an instant, that's going to happen. So God's that isn't a big thing for God. But what he's so passionate about, what he paid such a high price for, is this conversation, this ongoing uh, communication with his children. He's not looking for an audience who are just awed at what he's doing. He's looking for a bride. That's what he calls us. He calls us his bride. We are uh, the bride of Christ. And he wants a conversation. He wants a relationship with us. 
And it's so much more powerful um, than just smiling and clapping and saying, who knows what he's going to do next. And so something that I'm challenged for myself and that I will often say to, say to young people that I'm talking to or, or different things is, are you talking to God? When, when God is doing good things in your life, when he's pouring out blessing and answering your prayers, are you talking to him about it? Are you thanking him for it? Are you rejoicing in that place? Or when it feels like things aren't going so right, uh, when it feels like you're, you're praying and you're not getting answers, are you still talking to him about it? Are you watching for those answers? Um, because this is such a high price that he paid and it's what, what he's after. So I just I want us as a church really just to, to think about that and just to, to ask that question. Are we talking with our creator? Are we praying those prayers? Are we remembering what we prayed? And are we rejoicing in those answers? And I want us just to be a people who, who sow seeds as a church and, and watch for the harvest and rejoice when it comes and, and use that joy to power us into, into planting more and sowing more. And so I really want to just, just leave us with that point. Um, I feel that for some of us, this might be something we're already doing, and it's an encouragement. Um, for some of us, maybe you haven't even begun this conversation for the first time with God. And today might be the time you think, actually, just like Amajit cried out to God, I want to start that conversation with a God who hears me, with a God who listens to my prayers and will answer me. Um, and for some of us, it might be a case of beginning again or, or restarting a conversation that maybe we did have but over time, we've kind of, just with the flow of life, we've, we've got out, out of the habit of doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I just want to pray quickly as we finish. Um, Lord, I thank you that you are a God who hears our prayers. I thank you that, that God, when we speak to you, um, you hear and you answer, God. And I, I ask that you would make us a people, you would make us a church that doesn't sow sparingly, Lord, that we don't sow prayers, Lord, sparingly, God, but we sow bountifully and therefore reap bountifully, God. God, I pray that there would be much rejoicing among us, God, as we delight in your answers to the prayers we're praying. And God, I ask that you would draw us into a a deeper level of relationship and intimacy with you and closeness with your heart as we rejoice that you're a God who hears us. In Jesus' name, amen.